Welcome to the Ask Why podcast, a series of conversations exploring the future of learning and the future of work with experts ranging from professional educators to investors, company builders, and individual learners. The way we learn and the way we work is changing rapidly. Artificial intelligence is automating ever more tasks around us, putting pressure on all of us to rescale and upscale at accelerated rates while dealing with a level of unprecedented information overload. The education system, built for an age of information scarcity and around a broadcast model of teachers and learners, is simply no longer fit for purpose. But what can be put in its place? If this is a topic you're interested in, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast by searching for hashtag AskWhy in your favorite podcast app or follow us on YouTube or TikTok and catch the video feed of these conversations, which are happening in VR. Today's guest is Sherry Coutu. Although she undoubtedly needs little introduction, I'll list some of her positions and achievements before letting her take the floor. She started out as a software engineer at Accenture before becoming a consultant at Coopers and Librand. She was the founder and chairman at Interactive Investor, which she floated on the London Stock Exchange. She was an angel investor and an advisory board member of LinkedIn, sits on the board of Raspberry Pi, and invested in many of the brand name companies we take for granted every day. Today, she's the chairperson at WorkFinder and a non-exec director at Pearson. Thanks for being here to start. I uh, was really looking forward to, to this conversation. You have had a really rich past and I tried to figure out how to introduce you. Uh, which becomes really hard when you've done as much and are doing as many things as you are doing uh, today. But the kind of going from NED at Pearson, Raspberry Pi, investing, LinkedIn, like a bunch of different things, starting out as a software engineer, how would how would you today describe what you are spending your time on? Um. I'm focusing on the upskilling and the learning world. And I'm curious about how we help people to acquire the skills that they need in order to bring about the world that we want to live in. The balance, if you, if you look at Raspberry Pi, um, if you look at Raspberry Pi, that is um, making it really easy for people to understand how they create computers rather than just how they use them. If you look at Pearson, it operates across um, hundreds of countries and it helps people acquire knowledge. Sometimes it helps them acquire knowledge so they can take a test in English in order to be a doctor in Canada. Sometimes it will help them understand um, how to, uh, you know, code better in Python. Um, if you look at WorkFinder, it helps people acquire the skills that they need in order to do the jobs they want or the jobs that they have better. Um, if you look at the Scale Up Institute, we focus on the skills people need to acquire to help their companies. And if you go up a level at a company, we're looking at how they help their workforce describe, uh, sorry, acquire uh, acquire the skills that they need them to have. So 
At the moment, I'm focusing largely on the acquisition of skills. It's something I've been curious about for a very long time. And it is the number one issue for 90% of the companies on the planet. And I mean, that, that really does appear like you're looking at it from every single angle, basically. The, uh, and within that, what are the functions, the, the parts that you are working on uh, personally? Is it connecting people? Is it, uh, is it about looking at the fundamental problems? Is it about looking at the economics? Like what, what are the things that you, within those companies, within those organizations, spend your time on? Well, um, I have quite different roles in each of those different companies. And so it really depends on, on which company. Um, and um, sometimes it is, a, you know, at a, as a director, as a non-exec director, where you are a resource to the people who work full-time for those um, organizations to help them perhaps see things that they don't yet see or to help them make decisions that they're, um, you know, needing to make and they want to feel more confident about making. Um, if it's WorkFinder, where I'm the executive chair and responsible for product and engineering, it's really getting, um, you know, really rolling up your sleeves and looking at um, how you weight an algorithm or the application of an algorithm to create the user experience that you want that user to have. Um, so what I like as a person who has a portfolio is sometimes getting down in the nitty gritty because I am a software engineer and I derive joy from doing that. Um, and other times I like to help other people who are on a scale up journey to do what they need to do faster and better than, um, than they otherwise, um, like to, to give them confidence and to get them from point A to point B faster with greater clarity. Okay. And so as you uh, forgot to say, by the way, that at the end of this interview, I think I'd, we we quickly discussed, but the um, at the end of this interview, I will ask you for one of the questions that I will ask has been generated by ChatGPT, and I'll ask you which one um, that might have been, and we figure out if we can we can get there. Um, but so you've had all of these various experiences uh, and very now, right now focusing on the acquisition skills within that environment then, what is one thing that you believe to be true that most people in the industry would disagree with? I believe that the acquisition of skills and helping people acquire those skills is dramatically more important than a university degree. Um, and I think that a lot of people still believe that a degree is very meaningful, whereas what I see a degree as is imparting certain skills so that an individual can make decisions that allow them to have the impact that they want. I think skills-based hiring and skills-based AI, um, although it's where I think the market is going, I don't think that that is generally accepted yet, but I truly believe it to be the future. And what would you say are the the core blockers to if if those are better ways to evaluate skills or be better ways to think about skills? What do you think are the main blockers that are preventing it from being the accepted 
path today. Hmm. Um, I think there, there are limitations imposed on big businesses, large and small, by the current platforms that they use, um, which are oriented to, um, again, what occurred in the past, which may be, you know, our, you know, our degree is like, you need a PhD in data science to work for my company. It's like, okay, but what if they've been a data scientist at Google for six years? Does that not count? Um, because it may not count in the existing platform. So I think there is a limitation in the existing platforms that companies use. Um, and, uh, and I think that many of the ways in which we acquire knowledge may be disregarded. So for instance, um, FutureLearn or Coursera, or again, these micro um, degrees and certificated um, ways of acquiring knowledge are often disregarded by, um, by employers, perhaps because they're unfamiliar with them. So they'll be saying, well, someone has to have a master's degree. Like, well, actually, if they had several different certificates in what you actually need, that person may be better to help you achieve your goals than, um, you know, than the other person that you're looking for. Um, because at the moment, I think uh, companies sometimes look for the, the wrong things, um, mainly because they don't know exactly how to decipher the skills that they, that they need to fill the skills gaps in their current teams. You've seen an increase over time of how long it takes to fill roles in companies. Um, and part of that is, again, the specialization of our, you know, I guess the workforce um, and how you find exactly what you're looking for. It's been getting harder and harder and harder to find what you're looking for. And um, I want to solve that problem because it's a big problem. It's causing, um, uh, it's causing societal issues. It's causing people to um, have burnout. It's causing retention issues in companies, perhaps who, you know, could have two part-time people, but they're forcing, you know, they're forcing their employees to look for a full-time position when in fact two part-time would probably do. Um, and probably be better for the company and for the people as um, as well. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in in everything kind of you, you you just mentioned. I've been trying to keep track as you were as you're going through. Um, so would it be fair to try and kind of summarize this around that the way people acquire skills today? is fundamentally different to the infrastructure of degrees, but the workforce has not found a way to quantify how those skills are now being built up in a way that would help them take advantage of them in the most optimum way? Or am I missing something? No, I think that's, I, I, mean, I think that's good. I think that um, companies may forget how much we learn as we do our role. And if I've, you know, if I was curious about a subject and I watched a thousand hours of it on YouTube, um, how is that taken into consideration by somebody? Because um, I may have learned a lot during that thousand hours of YouTube, but it's not a degree that I would have got from 
you know, Cambridge University or Harvard University or somewhere else. And where is that captured? That expertise and um, and and skill and and interest, because people need to be interested in what they're doing to enjoy work. And if their interests are, you know, I don't know, something that they can acquire on YouTube or Coursera or FutureLearn, how do you capture that? Um, yeah. If so there's the... missing bits. They're pretty important bits. You, you know people that, you know, spend a lot of time on YouTube, you know, learning how to do something that lifelong learning is really important to us because we spend time on it. It's important to us and we want to do things that we find interesting. The moment the system seems to be missing the ability to capture um, that interest and expertise and skill of people which is causing a whole whole bunch of friction, which is a very solvable yeah. problem, which is why I'm excited, because you can solve that problem. Yeah, it's just a, a question of time and resources <laughs> need, need to get or, or a good algorithm. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, does, it does seem fairly simple, right? When you talk about it like this, so that it's, it's still probably quite a few years before we're, we're properly able to solve this. I mean, it, is, it, is, it does represent societal change as well as um, just a technological solution. It's one thing to to have a solution, another for everyone to accept it and to start using it. Yeah. Um, there was another, just another answer to your question of what do I believe that yeah. perhaps the rest of the world doesn't yet. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that people in five years' time will be seeking full-time permanent positions. Um, and in fact, I'm pretty sure that there'll be seeking a braided career where maybe they spend three days a week doing one thing and two days a week doing something else for another organization. Um, so the assumptions that most organizations make about having a permanently attached workforce of full-time people, I think is completely off. Um, but I'm not sure everybody necessarily agrees with that yet. In interesting. And you would say that that will play out over the next five years already. I think it's already playing out and is perfectly clear. And what do you think is driving that? Um, well, technological change. Um, it is uh, that. I, mean, I think the power has shifted from employers to employees or colleagues. Mm -hmm. And if for my own happiness and well-being, it's better if I spend three days a week working for this organization and two for that. I should be able to call that shot. And the skills crisis is so acute that people who have these sought after skills will be able to have the ability to deploy those skills where they want, when they want, how they want. If they want to go be a ski bum in the winter months, they will choose not to work in you know January, February, March, maybe. Um, but they might work during the rest of the time. Um, but again, that in the old traditional sense might be inconvenient to an employer, but employers will find themselves increasingly flexible because they have to be in order to get the people with the right skills to do what they need their workforce to do. And Okay, so now trying to combine a little bit of both of these, right? So if part of the challenge right now is that skills might be built up but not captured in a way that that employers can recognize and, and find the talent they're looking for. And on the other, the kind of yep. mobility and the the type of work that people are looking for might 
uh, that the balance might be coming more in favor of the employee rather than the employer, isn't there somewhat of a, a balancing force that once the skills are captured again in a way that employers can quantify that it should alleviate some of the skill gap, which then pushes back or puts back in balance the employer-employee relationship somewhat? It should. I mean, I, absolutely. But I think um, the, yes, it should bring it back into balance. And I think it's a solvable, I think that is a solvable issue. Um, but inflexible policies of companies have already, have, have, are already dropping very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and that is because the power has changed towards the individual who has those, who has those skills. Um, and saying, I only want full-time permanent employees to work for me is, I think, a, a thing of the past. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. That's indeed, uh, I mean, the, the trend is absolutely clear. I guess it's the, um, the timeline of five years of this kind of becoming the norm is, is not something that, um, I have heard a lot indeed. It'll be very interesting to see how, uh, how quickly that will, that, well, it is already happening, but basically how quickly that will accelerate, I guess. Well, you've seen the acceleration of those trends, which were, um, accelerated by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, people started working from home a lot more. <laughs> You've you've seen and you've heard about the gig economy. Well, the gig economy yeah. uh, started with blue collar delivery workers, but nothing to say that it's not going to occur with the white collar knowledge workers as well. And I think yeah. you're you know I think you're seeing that you've seen a move from you have to be working in a real office um, with a real desk, and you have to actually somehow get on a bicycle or a train and travel to that place in order to work. You've seen that change dramatically over the last, you know, one, three, five years because of the pandemic. And I think all of those lead us down our road, which ends up with um, all of us being a lot more flexible and questioning, why do I want to get on a train and go from here to there, whereas I could be in a room with you perhaps with a contraption on my head. Um, and that can be just as real and just as intense and just as meaningful and just as impactful for both of us and for the organizations we work for than in the, you know, historically when, um, you know, it, when we went into an office and killed three hours a day getting to and from the office. Why did we do that? Why is it necessary? Why would we continue to do that after we've seen um, you know, some of the benefits uh, occur, which are aided by technology, such as what we are using today to have this conversation. Yeah. Very interesting. Taking one step back and looking at your personal learning experience throughout your life, if you had to pick one example of what you thought was a great learning experience, what would that be and, and why? I did think over the weekend, because I know you were going to ask this uh, question, um, I think the greatest acceleration of my learning um, occurred in my second master's degree, which was um, at a business school on the East Coast of the United States. And they used the Socratic method for teaching. And um, what I learned there is that the colleagues in the room 
who are looking at things from diverse different points of view um, are well worth listening to. And what you may learn by reading the textbook or the case the night before, um, and what you conclude having discussed it with 90 people in a forum, usually uh, excel, you know, usually um, helped by a professor at the front of the room, is very, very different. And that helped me appreciate how you, you know, how you learn through the people around you uh, in solving problems or addressing, addressing problems or trying to bring about something else with a team. And I learn better in teams and I learn better through discussion. And I definitely learn better when there's a problem to solve because solving problems is joyful if you like solving problems. And there's a lot of problems in our world. It's a lot for sure. And, and how do you, so that personal aspect, that social learning experience, have you seen anything that reproduces that in an effective way in a remote fashion? I live it every day. I've been living it every day since I graduated from that business school 30 years ago. Um, I think when you come together as a team, uh, well, actually, you and I earlier were trying to help me set up this headset and configure configure some stuff. And we came together and you helped me do that. You helped me learn how to overcome a, an annoying issue. Um, for me, what I love as, a, as an entrepreneur is pulling teams together um, who have, you know, I often regard them as having superpowers. Sometimes the superpowers because they bring a completely different perspective. Sometimes it's a skill. Um, but we bring them, bring people together to solve a problem that needs to be solving, solved. And I, I love that. And I think I do that every minute of every day, um, you know, whatever way you look at it. Um, and, and that's why I love setting up my own companies. If somebody isn't pro solving a problem that needs to be solved. It's also why I join some companies because they may have powers to solve problems that I care about deeply that are on the way to being solved. And so, you know, jumping on, you know, jumping into being part of another organization to solve big issues that I can't solve alone, or it's better to solve as part of a larger organization is I think what we do. I think we all want to have impact. And the way you have impact is, um, you know, by joining in with other people to have that impact because as an individual solo person, you have much smaller impact. And you think that um, that experience you had on the the East Coast Business School was that in, that was in person at the time? I imagine, right? It well, it was in person, but you'd read you'd read the case. Yeah. Um, you'd then have a study group with real live human beings in a smaller room. Um, these yeah. days you could do it by VR and you could, you could probably put together a study group, you know, virtually without being in the same room where, yeah. but that was in the same room. And then we would go to a giant classroom or lecture theater. Um, and you would have a, a hundred people that you might only call on 30 people to speak during that hour and a half, but you would be picking apart a problem and trying to get to, uh, an answer of was this the right decision? But what you what was being taught 
was problem solving in a team sense with other people in your community. And that had a profound impact on me. I think I'd had a very, I had two other degrees before I went there and they were quite individualistic um, in a, you study this, you write an essay, you then defend your views. Um, it's very different than discovering what the truth is by working in teams and by examining things from a, a, a different different set, different points of view, so that you together can learn the best way to solve a really complex problem. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, now, going on to the, the next part here, uh, something I wanted to ask you. So you have need kind of looked at learning or you are looking at learning from all these various angles, right? From LinkedIn, Raspberry Pi, Cambridge as well. You're even though you're on the uh, remuneration committee, like you've got an insight there. You've got the founders for schools. There's the work finder. Uh, but if you if you looked at what each of these are adding to the or um, are adding to the environment, are are bringing to the solution of this this skills gap what would you say would be one key insight from each of the say say linkedin raspberry pi work finder at least uh, in terms of what they're adding and bringing to the table what would be kind of the key insight that you think is worth everyone knowing about um well i haven't been um with linkedin as an advisor since they were sold to microsoft so that's quite a long quite a long time ago but I think the lesson of that is at scale, when you have an end-to-end -end solution, you can record skills um, that an individual has, and you can also get the community to endorse whether or not they have those. And I think that's what I probably took away from, from LinkedIn, um, mm -hmm. along with the insight that people choose to change their roles uh, frequently post-graduation um, and pre-retirement. And the on the economic graph of an individual, on average, they will hold 25 different jobs and they will pursue seven different career streams. That's a lot of skills that, you know, move you from being able to do one to the other to the other. Um, but that is what gives us balance and happiness. Um, sometimes at the beginning of your life, again, if I go to what I learned when I was um, wor working closely as a, a, a non-exec at Cambridge University on their finance committee, uh, is how people acquire um, skills and experience very deeply at the start of their career, um, i.e. in an undergraduate or a master's or a PhD. And that's really important. What I learned from being an angel investor in more than 70 different organizations over the past 30 years is your learning definitely doesn't stop once you've got your first or second or third degree. It, it accelerates according to the activities that you choose to take part in. Um, often work activities, but it may not be entirely work activities because you're always, you're always learning. And um, that aspect of, you know, what am I learning to do my job? If, if a customer asked me to do something and I think I should, we should be able to do that, but we don't know how to do it yet, I'm going to learn how to do that. 
and the team that you bring together will will solve that problem. Um, so I think the theme is, um, you know, there are skills, there are things that you want to do, and bringing people together to achieve them uh, makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of friction, um, and as an entrepreneur, I like helping people do things that are worthwhile, um, usually 10 times better or 100 times better. And I've been really lucky in some of my some of the companies that I've started up um, and subsequently sold or floated, and some of the companies I've invested in is using technology and often new technologies to solve really hard problems um, 10 times better because you have to solve them 10 times better or even 100, somewhere between 10 and 100 times better than what exists at the moment in order to get people to leave their status quo, which they know isn't working, but they don't have a better one yet. Um, and what I, you know, the lessons that I've learned with the things that I have done and the things that I am doing are you can really change entire industries with ease if you focus on big problems, um, which turn into you an opportunity to create a solution that um, helps people at scale uh, and at massive global scale. You were talking about how you're excited about solving big problems and then scaling them, being able to scale them out, um, whatever solution you get to. Right. So one of the one of the biggest things in learning that has been proven to really make a difference is personalized learning for quite a while. Um, uh, and one of the biggest things that's been proven in learning to be effective is is personal tutoring. Right. Is the idea of somebody who helps you, based on your context, learn in the way that that kind of works or through the context that works for you. Within that, do you actually think that there's a limit to the opportunity to scale personalized learning now that we are getting to the point where technology is able to take this on? Uh, what what do you think is the right balance between scaling personalized learning and thinking about group learning experiences and kind of a, a little bit of the broadcast model that we, we have today? And how do you think about the balance between these? Well, um, well, I think if you think about a classroom experience, which you call broadcast, which I agree is yeah. an apt term for it, each, and let's say it's a lecture hall and let's say there's 90 people in it, you actually have personalized learning journey with each of those 90 people in that classroom. Because each of them with that material will be taking different things away from that interaction. Historically, you were only able to record the broadcast, you couldn't um, see the personalized, the insights and the ahas with the people who consumed that material. And what you now can do is you can see those ahas and you can suggest the next case study that they might want to read mm. because of an aha or a preference that you will have captured somewhere else on their journey. And I think that is far more powerful than the old way of doing it. Um, and I think more fulfilling for the individual learners as um, as as well. Um, don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, you know, whenever we're Absolutely. teaching or whenever we're learning, we all take different things away from from that experience. The ability to record that and say, Joshua, I know you you know i know you're curious about that because 
you know, something you cannot do in the old, uh, in the old, the old world, um, which is less powerful and limiting to the individual learner. And, you know, if they're learning on behalf of a company to solve a company problem, the company, uh, and certainly at a societal level, um, you're also missing out on that. So I think there's huge productivity gains and personal wellness gains to be made. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I, um, so you're saying that there is a there is a a place for a broadcast type um, environment within learning, and then the personalization. The biggest leverage point is to look at the various jumping off points and what everyone resonated with in order to help develop the various topics more deeply based on what they what they interacted with what what kind of appealed to them yeah i mean i'm sure you've you've gone to a, a lecture maybe with four or five friends before or a play um and had a discussion afterwards about what you took away from that and found that you all took slightly different things away from that um, yeah. when we interact with a piece of learning material we come there for a reason um and we may all show up in that classroom for different reasons trying to solve trying to take insights that we can apply later um in different in different aspects and I, I don't think that that is has changed. I think the ability to capture it and allow someone to pursue things that they're interested in is much greater. Yeah. So, what what, what is what is one question you have today that you wish you had an answer to? I would like to know um, whether or not my prediction of five years. Uh, how far off that is? Um, is it going to happen in two to three years or is it going to happen in 10 years? The prediction for five years, which one of the five years are you talking about here? Are you talking about the the kind of future of work, gig economy, um, how people shift their working behaviors? Is that the one that you are um, most interested yeah. in figuring out? Yeah, that people will be, yeah, that people will be choosing to not work full time at one organization and that they may choose to spend uh, units of time at several organizations. And um, I think businesses, companies will have to cope with that. Um, and um, I'm just wondering if, uh, if you know, if, if 100%, if that's going to be 100% in five years time is what my opening statement was. Um, I think it's already at 50%. Um, will it reach 100% in, you know, five years, as I said, or 10 years or two to three years. And it's um, anyone's guess. I'd be, yeah, it's anyone's guess. And certainly uh, I think it's coming like a freight train and I think it's perfectly clear. Um, I think it will be accelerated by organizations like Digital Boost, like, you know, and like WorkFinder and like some of the things that Pearson's doing and, you know, Cambridge University, Cambridge University, every learning institution is contributing to this. Um, will it come about faster than five years or slower is something I definitely wish that I knew. Well, so we will wrap up there. 
thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Uh, now that we're fully set up, maybe we can even do this uh, some other time uh, to dive into the other 50 questions that I had. <laughs> uh, either way, I, I really enjoyed it. And it's, it was, I'm so thankful for, for the time already that you, you put into this and the work that you perform to try and uh, make a difference here. Obviously, I'm trying to spend my own time doing something similar, uh, moving the needle here, but it's uh, one of the world's biggest problems uh, right in front of us. So thank you. It's great. Well, it's my pleasure, and it's been great getting to know you a little bit. And, uh, and I you know, love what you're doing, and I, I think, you know, uh, exploring this media uh, is, also, is also fun and will have a deep impact in the world of learning and the acquisition of learning and skills and lessons so um well done for for everything that you're doing to help us all understand that so thank you thank you and have a great day you too take care bye for now <laughs> bye thank you the way we learn and the way we work is changing rapidly artificial intelligence is automating ever more tasks around us putting pressure on all of us to rescale and upskill at accelerated rates while dealing with a level of unprecedented information overload the education system, built for an age of information scarcity and around a broadcast model of teachers and learners, is simply no longer fit for purpose. But what can we put in its place? I'm your host, Joshua Vola, CEO at Mindstone, and I hope today's conversation shed light on at least some of the problems we're facing. If you thought today's conversation was interesting, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast by searching for hashtag AskWhy in your favorite podcast app or follow us on YouTube or TikTok and catch the video feed of these conversations, which are happening in VR.